Welcome to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care Alliance podcast, exploring challenges and best practices in palliative care approaches for individuals in long-term care. Speech-language pathologists have a unique and important role in the palliative approach to care. Caitlin Bouchelle is the owner and managing clinician of Bouchelle Speech and Language Group, a private speech-language pathology practice serving Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario. She works with individuals with neurological disorders at the end of life to maximize their quality of life and ensure that they are able to communicate. Caitlin works in palliative care and is the consulting speech-language pathologist with the Manitoba Medical Assistance and Dying Team. Welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Thank you, Nancy. I'm pleased to be here. I'd like to start by having you tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming a speech-language pathologist and how you chose that career. I'm a little bit different than a lot of speech-language pathologists in that uh, my journey actually started with an adult who was uh, in need of speech-language pathology services. Many of us work in pediatrics, but um, my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia quite early, and she really lost her language very early on. It was um, seeing that progression and the impact that had on my grandmother's quality of life and and specifically her ability to maintain relationships with the people in her life. Well, my grandfather really struggled because he tended to communicate in a very traditional way. And so the idea that you might um, communicate just by sitting and holding hands, that wouldn't have even occurred to him. And so um, watching that struggle motivated me to want to work uh, in the field of speech-language pathology but I was also curious and had sort of a personal connection to, to this other part of speech-language pathology uh, at the end of life. Tell me, what does a speech-language pathologist do in, for example, a long-term care home? I like to often break down the role of the speech-language pathologist into sort of two main categories. So the first being swallowing and the other being communication. Stay in long-term care the bulk of the speech-language pathologist's time is spent on swallowing. In long-term care, and certainly in palliative care, the focus is certainly on keeping people safe. But the other piece is quality of life. (laughs) And so there's a real focus on managing risk and balancing that with maintaining quality of life. With swallowing, we'll be looking to modify the texture of their diet. We're going to be looking to, for example, have a minced diet where the food, the texture of the food is easier to manage. So that tends to be how we manage swallowing in personal care and towards end of life, where we're really focused on um, comfort. Does someone have a clean mouth? Do they have a moist mouth? Because man, a dry mouth feels gross. And (laughs) on the other side of things, it actually makes communicating quite difficult. So, you know, there's really that overlap there. And then, yes, we look at this other area of communications. There's certainly that piece around supporting individuals with communication supports, whether that be assistive technology, whether that be low tech, whether that be something like supported conversation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, where you're providing these communication supports, whether they be pictures, writing down keywords to help an individual to communicate and as much as possible to participate in decision making for their own care. They do have a capacity to participate in many discussions, but their communication challenges preclude that without some of these supports. So Mm -hmm. that's certainly a role that I think is very important. And a lot of what I do in my work in medical assistance and dying, whether that be in a personal care home, whether that be in a palliative care unit or at home receiving palliation, um, that they can communicate their daily needs and wants. Is there someone really important that you feel like you need to talk to? Are there affairs you really want to get in order? Can you not stand the current show on the television and you want to change? <laughs> um, so certainly those are really, that's um, a really critical piece. This ability to maintain relationships. I often talk to families, especially as an individual progresses through uh, the stages of living and dying, where they get towards the end of life and they may be confused. They may not be necessarily um, conscious and interactive all the time, what does communication look like? And and the same thing for um, looking at individuals who are progressing through the stages of dementia, where, you know, you're not necessarily going to have a traditional back and forth conversation. And often family and friends, they really aren't sure what to do. So helping families and friends and anyone involved in that person's care and their life to see that that can actually be a meaningful interaction and to teach them how to do that. So things like reminiscence, bringing in photographs and and not testing people, but simply sitting down with some pictures and you as that friend or family member talking about, oh, you remember mom and dad's 50th anniversary? And the individual who is, let's say, the patient or the resident with the communication challenge may just sit and smile. They may suddenly point at a part of the picture. And to me, again, that is a successful interaction. I love the fact that you talked about using different tools. So using a picture mm-hmm. or writing down something so that people who maybe can't, you know, verbalize something can use other tools. And when I heard that, I kind of thought about not just being able to communicate with family, but also with people who are caring for them in long-term care. Absolutely. And, and that's certainly on that interdisciplinary team, which I think is so critical in personal care, in palliative care. Uh, I think that's a really important role of the speech language pathologist is to um, consult with those individuals who are doing a lot of that day-to-day care and find out a little bit about how those communicative interactions are going. If we start to see, for example, increased agitation and vocalizations and all this kind of stuff around a certain activity, sometimes that's actually an individual's way of communicating that something's going wrong for them. Just helping that person to understand what they're feeling and what it means can be really, really effective. Photos of things that they might be able to expect in daily routines. There's often sort of a traditional communication board, things that people might often ask about, hungry, thirsty, more, you know, hot, cold, pain, all those types of things. Those can be useful. Do you develop relationships with family members as well? Because they may be feeling, you know, what can I do? Or, you know, what's happening with the communication? Yeah. But I would say the consultation with the family and friends and caregivers can be really, really crucial. 
when someone is deteriorating to the point where their thinking skills aren't as clear, the success of a communicative interaction depends more on their communication partner. It's really critical to connect with family, to understand what, you know, what the goals are, what the family's goals are for care. Families are so critical in helping to understand that person's values, what was important to them, what's important to the family. Um, and, and that's important from a communication perspective, but it's also important from a swallowing perspective. We can come into the situation as you know experts in swallowing, right? And if we have those blinders on, we can get lost and and miss what the family is trying to tell us, which may be, you know, to feed is to love. Um, and if we're not feeding, you know, they won't know I love them. That's that's my love language. So if all of a sudden we're saying, actually, this person, it's not safe. You know, they're, they're really at the end stages and it's not safe to put solid food in their mouth. It, that can be very devastating for families. I think there's also a huge amount of fear that their loved one is going to feel thirsty and hungry, um, especially in that active dying phase, like right at the end being a part of that interdisciplinary team to provide that counseling to say, you know, as someone's body reaches these end stages of dying, they don't feel hunger, they don't feel thirst. But again, what can you do? Well, their mouth could feel dry and that would be uncomfortable. So let me show you how to provide safe and comfortable oral care. Can you talk a little bit about artificial nutrition? I know that sometimes people ask for that as an alternative. First, can you explain what artificial nutrition is? And then what are the pros and cons? There are different types of artificial nutrition. There's feeding tubes that go into someone's nose. There's a feeding tube that can be placed uh, in someone's stomach or um, into the intestines. And then there's feeding that can happen through an, an intravenous. There's just so many challenges there in terms of these populations, in terms of risk of aspiration, confusion and agitation, sort of ripping the tube out. For most individuals in the dying process, it's not an appropriate treatment option. It doesn't really tend to extend life and it doesn't improve quality and it doesn't decrease risk of things like infection. So if we look at providing nutrition through an IV, for example, um, again, families often ask for this at end of life. And we do a lot of counseling with families around how a person's body is shutting down. And so um, all of their body is shutting down. It's not just their swallow that's not working, but their body's ability to absorb nutrients, all those types of things. All of those systems are breaking down. It sounds like education is key. The distraught family member that says you're starving my family member to death, that education will be so crucial to help them understand that you're really trying to introduce a better quality end of life. Mm -hmm. It's. I think it's so critical sitting down with those family members and acknowledging their feelings, like acknowledging how scary that is. Acknowledge that fear if you can somehow eke out that extra five minutes to sit down, look that person in the eye, explain a little bit about how swallowing works, how dying works, um, why, you know, that's a valid fear, but why, as it turns out, it's not the case. I found that to be very powerful to say to families, but you can do this. This is a way you can communicate. This has meaning. Oral care can be really meaningful. Also, what's their favorite music? You know, bring it in, sit, play it, hold their hand. 
finding ways to help that that family member connect with their loved one and provide, feel like they are providing care to them in a way that's meaningful. I think that can um, go a long way in terms of supporting that family and and that that individual, that patient or that resident um, in a in a positive relationship at the end of life. I think it's just such a critical role of a speech language pathologist. I want to ask you a little bit about your role in the medical assistance and dying team because communication there is so crucial not only for the person who has chosen to have made uh, in communicating your wishes at the end but also in communicating with family. In Manitoba we have a, we have one large team that provides these services and their third patient ever uh, to request an assisted death uh, was close to nonverbal due to her diagnosis. And they thought, well, we've got to be able to talk to this person to understand why they want help to die. And uh, I got involved. And it's not just about communicating yes or no, do I want help to die? But it's all these conversations around it. Um, Sometimes people contact the medical assistance and dying team. And in fact, they don't want help to die. They think they do. But as I say, there are these unmet needs mm-hmm. that we can help to resolve. Sometimes it's a cry for help. So all of those conversations are really important. Even if a person chooses an assisted death, how can we support them and reduce their suffering for whatever time they have left? I think often speech language pathologists, it doesn't automatically come to mind what their role would be because we're so often concerned with, you know, people recovering, right? Keeping someone safe until they can recover. But I think as a profession, we need to do a better job of advocating for services in the context of palliative care. There is such a, an important role there. And I, um, I wish and hope in the future that there will be more opportunities for speech language pathology in those teams. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Caitlin. It's been a real pleasure, Nancy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care podcast. For more information about our project, visit spa-ltc.ca.